Hey, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of So How'd You Get Here? I'm Angelo. This is Tony. Hello, hello. How are y'all doing today? Um, this podcast is where we dive in. If you're, tu- if you're tuning in for the first time, let me back that up. Yeah, back it up. If you're tuning in for the first time to uh, So How'd You Get Here? Uh, we are a podcast. Um, this is a podcast where we dive into people's backstories, and we get a peek behind the curtain and kind of see the choices that people have made that have kind of helped them break through or succeed in, in their area of expertise. And today, we're going to be hearing from a good friend of mine. Um, good friend of ours, by the way. F- Thanks. No, he's mine. He's more my friend than he is. Stop. I saw him first. You did see him first. Okay. All right. Well, <laughs> this is a guy who has so many credits, I can't even list them all. So I'll just list a few. Uh, Third Rock, Seinfeld, I believe you did a little acting on Knocked Up. Uh, Will and Grace, uh, you've taught, you've done Groundlings. Um, I'd like to welcome to the show my good friend, very talented actor, Mr. Tim Bagley. Thank you. It's good to see you. I love that of all the credits that I had, the first one you mentioned was Third Rock from the Sun, yeah. which was like a, an old... I mean, that was like a... Um, when was that? That was like in the 90s. Mid, so that jo- Joseph Gordon-Levitt, right? Yes. Yeah. 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 Because I'm mid, trying Mid-90s. I want to show how and, long and you've you. been great at what you do. Oh, that's... Okay, I get it. It's a long career for a 29-year-old to have. <laughs> <laughs> so I had somebody once introduce me. You might know... And this was like a couple of years ago. You might know him from The Mask. And then... Um, oh, that's right. You had... And then, that was like one of the first movies you ever did. Yeah. We're going to talk and about I just that. Thought, and I thought... Um, <laughs> wow, like that's interesting. That that's what you would use to introduce me. With. Well, if you're in a movie that made over like two hundred million dollars, then yeah, you're from the mask. <laughs> okay, fair yeah. enough. How you doing today? I'm good. How are you? I'm uh, I'm glad you're here, and I'm excited to uh, get you uh, get you going on our podcast here. Yeah. I know you. You play all quiet and polite, but you just need a little poking, and then apparently you just come alive. So poke away, poke away. <laughs> <laughs> uh, where should we start? So, since it is, so how'd you get here? Born and raised in the Midwest, Minnesota, or something? Yeah, You're from I was, a cold state. Yeah, I was born in Minneapolis, Minnesota. Kind of grew up in um, Madison, Wisconsin, and then uh, Niles, Michigan, and then your family really liked the cold. Yes. Yeah. And then all through that, the consistent place that we've always kind of gone to in the summers and everything is Trempeleau, Wisconsin. And that's where a lot of my family is now. Oh, okay. So when I go back home now, it's Trempeleau, Wisconsin. So from Wisconsin, Michigan, Minnesota, how did you end up in California? I left uh, uh, Niles, Michigan right after high school. And I moved out to California and I went... <clears throat> my my parents wanted me to go to University of Michigan, but um, I wanted to be in entertainment somehow, but I didn't really know what I wanted to do or anything like that. So I found out there back then there were free colleges in California, you know, state universities. So uh, I told my parents... For out-of-state residents, it was still free? Well, I had to, you know, stay here for, I think, a uh, year okay. before I okay. got the... Um, you know, free school, but I went to Cal State Fullerton and I studied uh, psychology and art and then, you know, kind of took a couple acting classes and a dance class. And What kind of dance? It was, back then it was jazz and ballet. I think I took a ballet class and a jazz 
Valley, there was no hip hop or anything like that. For those of you watching, alluding to. For those of you watching on YouTube, we will pull up clips of you doing. Is there any footage of this? So, uh, I don't know if there's footage. I know that right after college, well, when I went to school, I was singing and dancing at Disneyland in a show called Kids of the Kingdom with this group, Kids of the Kingdom. You know, it was all that kind of like... You were a performer at Disneyland? Yes. I yes. am just now learning this about yeah. you. By the way, yeah. that was not in our notes. That was so. not in any so. notes. I couldn't find Inside Scoop. Yeah, I moved out here actually to be with a group called The Young Americans, which was like a little song and dance group. And, and uh, I had auditioned in Petoskey, Michigan. And, you know, I wanted to do that, but my parents wanted me to go to University of Michigan and I, once I found out that there was free schooling out here, my parents were like, hmm, okay, let's explore this a little more. <laughs> and, uh, and so I moved out and uh, went to Cal State Fullerton, you know, and, and studied. Uh, but, you know, I was still a little afraid to get into, you know, into the business. But I was, you know, studying it and, you know, doing elective classes there. And then meanwhile singing at a club called Baxter Street in Newport Beach, uh, like Top 40 stuff, and then um, working... Like in a group or, or solo? Well, there was like there were like four singers, and we would do some group numbers, but mostly solo. And I had never really done that before, so that was really kind of scary. Baritone, but, soprano, tenor? Uh, well, not soprano, but tenor, <laughs> mostly baritone. I was um, really hoping you said But so. I do, I can't, I do have a good falsetto, but never mind. Oh. Um, no, but, so, um, Angelo, he was the Justin Timberlake. Yeah, <laughs> no, yeah. Uh, no. Before no, Justin Timberlake. No, no, yeah, it that's was. actually I mean, his uh, he sang. Hand. He sang in Newport. He literally worked for Disney. I mean, he's a bit, you're like the Mickey Mouse Club. But you know what? It was, I mean, it was. Kids of the Kingdom. But one thing that I remember about that was I was terrified the first night I had to sing at the club and do solos. And I'd never, you know, done a whole solo. And I had to do four songs that first night. And I remember I was terrified. And I went down to Laguna Beach and I sat on the, um, in the sand and was looking at the ocean. And I just thought, I was terrified. I didn't know how I was going to do it. And I just thought, I will get through this and I will figure it out and in order to kind of start this process i'm gonna have to take some really uncomfortable risks since you were so terrified what were the four songs you sang i sang um god bless the child i sang a bobby womack song and i don't uh i don't remember what it was i sang peg and i sang and these were this was a long time ago um let's see what else did i sing this was um, back in 2010. <laughs> this was 1909. This <laughs> building was nothing but orange groves. Okay. <laughs> um, let's see. I don't remember what the fourth song was. Uh, probably a Beatles song or something. Okay. I don't remember. But it was kind of, you know, it was whatever. I, I don't remember. It w there were songs that I kind of knew. Oh, no. I sang a, a Stevie Wonder song, uh, uh, You and I. Yeah. Are we going to get a little bit? No. No. Oh. Are you, are you sure? Oh, are you sure? Like, we have time if you want to, you know, hit no, eight bars, 16 bars. <laughs> no. Do no. a kickball Nothing? change. Anything no. like that? No. no. Nothing. No. All right. No dancing, no singing. Okay. Those those days are so behind So your you. singing career. Yeah, you can cut all that wait, off. Wait, didn't wait. take <laughs> off. I feel like we missed a little bit there in the beginning. Like, I get moving out here, but I want to go in high school. Were, was there, what was the first kernel of, 
hey, maybe I want to do that. Did you see someone perform? Did you see a play? Was there something in comedy? Was there a, a group that came and performed at your school that said, hey, I like that. I might like it. Or did it just click on one day at 18 and you moved out to L.A.? I just, I grew up liking music. I loved like Stevie Wonder and, and Diana Ross and the people that were kind of big back then when I was kind of growing up. A lot of Motown stuff. I wasn't into like music theater, musical theater. Um, I auditioned for my high school play and I had a great time, but I was, it was Hello Dolly and I was a dancing waiter. So I, I didn't really. How um, did you prepare for this role? I just, uh, I just <laughs> did what they told me. Okay. But I auditioned. So you took but, direction well. But Got my it. point is that, like, I, I wasn't really, um, I wanted to do more of that stuff when I was younger, but it, it, I wasn't you didn't really have the welcomed. You didn't have the confidence. I w didn't have the confidence, but also I wasn't really welcomed into that. Our musical director was a man named Mr. Hamburger, and he was... One of these Did you just guys, make up that name right no, now? No, that That's was really his, name. his name. And his wife's name, she taught French, and she was Madame Hambroger. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds better in French mm -hmm. every time. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and he did not like me, and uh, I know that it, I know what it was linked up to, but um, he was not welcoming to me, and I didn't get into our big choir until the last section of my senior year. And I know that it was connected to when I was younger and studying with, Madame Hambroger, I needed to go to the bathroom and she, she and I was feeling s nauseous and she was ignoring me and so I threw up on her desk and and I think that the Hambroger hamburger family held that against me during my high school career. I just I know. can't believe how many times you say Hambroger with a straight face. <laughs> like I can't do it. It's, it's what it is. It's what it is. <laughs> And then Mrs. Ferguson was the, the director of our little group. And I got to do Godspell um, at my church. And I got to do, you know, like I was in a mime troupe. But when I would audition for the plays, I didn't get into a lot of the plays. I did get to play Max in The Sound of Music in high school. And I got to play something in The Miracle Worker, like a, psychologi a psychiatrist or something at Tewksbury. And I had one little teeny tiny scene. But other than that, I auditioned for everything and got in, you know, nothing. But I think that because I didn't get into it and I wanted it, that's one of the things that drove me yeah. out to, you know, like I often have thought, what if I had just been led into that world in high school? I probably would have gotten it all out of my system. And you would have majored in finance at Michigan. <laughs> yeah, right, exactly. Right. <laughs> like my mother wanted. Right. No, yeah. that's good because I... Um, a lot of people just experience rejection right out of the gate. It's not easy. I mean, there's a few people that are walk-on athletes, I guess, but a lot of people have to fight their way through. And um, what I've been hearing with multiple people speaking is, yeah, I, I, I had very little, a few signs here and there that said, hey, I should go in this direction, but a, a, lot, of, a lot of stuff in my way. Yeah, there's always been you know, blocks and barricades, and I just kind of always find a way to go around it and figure it out. If it's something I really am driven to do, I just do it. I figure out a way to do it, and in spite of those obstacles, whether it, it be uh, Mr. Hamburger or Mrs. Ferguson or, you know, somebody Wait, Mrs. else. Mrs. Uh, Hamburger. Hamburger. Madame Hamburger. Madame Hamburger. 
Um, well, I was done with her after the seventh grade. After so. you threw up on her desk. After I threw up on her That was your final state. Yeah. Got it. Yeah, I, I wanted a new life, and I knew I didn't want it in Michigan. I didn't like the snow. I liked the idea of California, and I was looking at either Los Angeles, San Francisco, or New York City, and New York had snow. San Francisco <laughs> seemed like, you know, I didn't know how to do that. And, um, and I felt like, you know, if I went to San Francisco, uh, this is, you know, the truth. I felt like we're, if we're I went to truth. San Francisco, my parents would know that I was gay. And I was <laughs> still trying to not, you know, I was trying not to be, okay. you know, for, for a long time early on. And um, so I went to Los Angeles, and <laughs> here's an interesting <laughs> um, transition from after college, my first kind of job outside of college, you know, I was working in college at Disneyland singing and dancing and being with the Young Americans. God, my first I, I just, you're, you're, you're a lot cooler. Well, now. wait you, till for oh, this one. Okay, I'll be quiet. I <laughs> started dancing with Mitzi Gaynor for a year. And Mitzi Gaynor was an old kind of movie star. She was in movies like There's No Business, like Show Business and South Pacific and things like that. And she did like an act with eight dancing guy, you know, guys. And, um, and I got this job right after, you know, taking a couple of dance classes in college. And so I toured dancing for a year, but all the other dancers were like, they grew up studying dance and they were and you really took a couple good classes and i took a couple of classes but had the confidence to go to this audition and just do it and um and then you know she had me sing some stuff too but you know i was dancing and after a year of that i thought you know this is actually a skill and i don't have it <laughs> and i thought you know why don't i why don't i take some acting classes because i thought i don't want to continue dancing you know, and I was getting more and more interested in acting. And so I started my first class after a year with Mitzi was with um, Gordon Hunt. And he was the casting director at um, Mark Taper Forum at the time. And he was teaching a private class. And in that class was Helen Hunt and um, his daughter. And uh, so, you know... Um, my one of my good friends was in the class was a woman named Zelda Rubenstein who got into Poltergeist, the movie Poltergeist. She was a little person yep. that said, you know, Carolyn, stay away from the light yeah, or know. go towards the light or something like that. And she uh, and I became very good friends and we were lifelong friends and she died several years ago. But um, but I remember she was the first person that I saw that was a contemporary go from just like me, a regular person in class, to suddenly she got this job in a Steven Spielberg film, and she got an agent and started working and doing all that. And, and Helen I, had not kind of blown up. She had, she was working as a young child actress, uh, but she was in this class, you know, learning the, 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 the technique skill, yeah. and the skill. And so that must have given you a lot of confidence seeing a friend yeah. show you that one role you yeah. can really break out. And I remember thinking, well, you know, if she could do this, I maybe I could do yeah, this. Yeah, and yeah. so I've always thought, 
that it's important, you know, for people to take classes and do all that because you you meet contemporaries and and you see people achieve and go on and it's there's no reason why that can't be you. Right. You know? Yeah. I find it interesting that you didn't really even take an acting class in college. Mm. I did. I oh, took you did? two acting oh, okay. classes. I took took two and that was enough for me to be like Oh, I like this. Yeah, I really like this. Planted the seed a little bit more, mm-hmm. okay. and then and then with Gordon Hunt, I studied with Gordon Hunt for a while, and then I I went through a series of teachers, and but um, I found my way to the Groundlings, and that's like an improv comedy school, and um, I went through the school and got into the company and did that for five years. Was anyone at the Groundlings while you were there that became a lot of people? A lot yeah. of people. Yeah, a lot of people. I mean, I went through the school with um, Lisa Kudrow, and in my group were people like Mike Hitchcock, um, Jennifer Coolidge, uh, oh, wow. Lisa Kudrow, um, uh, you know, so Will again, Ferrell, o- again, other Sherry contemporaries O'Terry. that like, yeah, yeah, we're yeah, tons of work. Yeah, and so um, you know, we were all kind of figuring this out together, and there, were, you know, one person would. I don't know. It was it was just always helpful. Like I remember Coolidge one time being on the set of um, Best in Show, my, one of my favorite movies, and <laughs> and calling and you know there was a something she was concerned about and we talked about it and I don't know just having those relationships with friends and contemporaries has been everything to me. You know, to for me to call people and say. I've got to go do this, and I'm nervous. How do I do this? Kathy Griffin was in the group with me as well, and I remember she kind of took me, and she was like, you know, you're a good storyteller. You should do stand-up comedy. And I thought, no, I I, I was too (laughs) scary for me. But she was doing an alternative comedy thing at the time with a lot of comedians. And as long as I knew I didn't have to write jokes and be like a stand-up comic, I would go and do the storytelling at a thing called Uncabaret. And I still do that sometimes. So with Gordon Hunt, you were learning more of a technique and a skill, and that was more dramatic acting? Well, it was all different kinds of acting, but I, it was the skill of, you know, learning how to be honest and Mm -hmm. authentic and use yourself and your real emotions and all that kind of stuff. Was the Groundlings really your first kind of improv uh, no, I took a class. My first improv class was with a man named Paul Sills at the Mark Taper Forum. And um, his mother was Viola Spolin, who was kind of the founder, and she wrote the book, literally wrote the book on improv. Oh, wow. And he was a part of Second City, and he was out teaching uh, one summer. And I took that class and just really loved the art form. And at the time, I was studying with a woman named Nina Foch who was an actress who was teaching and she would give me assignments and I remember saying to her, you know, Nina, I don't feel like a king, you know, and <laughs> she would say, well, you just have to make yourself believe that you can do this. And so she said, maybe you need like an improv class where you can just throw yourself into it where you don't have time. So she was the one that kind of suggested I go to uh, the ground. But I think that's really important for people that are listening and, and watching that you literally took whatever classes like you just took everything i still do yeah as a matter of fact which is an interesting thing um to bring back is that currently right now during the pandemic i've been studying with helen hunt her father passed away and she's been teaching his class 
and I ran into her and she was like, yeah, I've been teaching my dad's class. And I was like, you know, I'd love to work on some stuff in there with you because she's learned so much since those early days when we were in our, you know, like early 20s or yeah. we were 19 or 20 or something like that. About, I think we were probably 20, 21, something like that. And um, Was this a one-on-one -on -one thing, like a Zoom thing? Or is it just like a group of Zoom, people? It's Zoom, but it's a, it's a class, a group of like maybe, um, you know, 12 people. And they do it on Zoom right now. Right. But, you know, when when they can meet up, they will. But I've been using this time to try things, ways that, you know, I use class for to stretch in ways that I, you know, am not cast, like... The last thing that I worked on was um, To Kill a Mockingbird, Atticus Finch, the Aaron Sorkin big monologue at the yeah. end of the play. And, and you know, I do things like that that I know the people that know me would think, why would you do that? But to me, it's learning how to stretch myself in ways emotionally and in character so that when something comes up where I, am, where I get to audition to be a lawyer... I've been in those shoes and I have a sense of that so that it's not, you know, foreign to me. And then next week you're going to do Joe Pesci from Goodfellas. No, I mean, <laughs> you, I mean, right now the scene that I'm working on, I mean, it's crazy for people that know what I do, but I'm doing a scene from Ocean's Eleven where this, you are know, you, are you very Pitt, funny. Are you Pitt or Clooney? I'm Clooney. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I'm Clooney. But Why'd you um, even ask that question. But um, he's obvious. the leader. He's the leader. So, <laughs> all right, Danny Ocean. And so, <laughs> and so, so, so the thing is, is that I know it sounds insane, but to me, it's what I'm. I the thing about Brad Pitt and George Clooney in those things is they're so confident, you know, in their in everything about themselves. And so I thought, well, this will be a, an interesting opportunity for me to work on confidence in what I look like in in my you know in my power all that kind of stuff so I use class for stuff like that okay. which to regular people it sounds insane but it's a way that I can stretch myself we're as in an the actor. entertainment we, we business. understand we what you're saying but yeah. at all we're we we're, all are we're, a little we're broken super weird yeah oh it's yeah. <laughs> completely broken yeah. <laughs> I mean I mean during the pandemic everybody else is I'm sure you know writing things and creating things and I'm t I'm go back to the basics and you know I'm taking acting classes to well, stretch also myself. at your level you're going to get cast probably co pretty consistently for what people already know you do right so you can I feel like you can get a little stagnant in some of those things that stretch you more Now's the time to do that. Yeah, but that's why also I'm always doing plays and stuff. And I know you helped Smart. me when I was doing. That was a long. That was a long monologue. That was a Vanya long Sonia, monologue. Uh, I've ever heard. Masha and Spike at South Coast Rep, and you helped me before I for my first day of rehearsal. You helped me. It was like a you know eight page monologue. Yeah, it was long. It was long. You never told me that you worked on... I don't on tell you no, everything. hold on. You, you don't need to know everything. Listen, you worked on a monologue with George Clooney. You didn't tell me? <laughs> no. <laughs> no. But yeah, so, I mean, to me, I always feel like, like, as an actor, it's kind of my responsibility to make sure that when opportunities come up for me in a dramatic situation or in some kind of character that, you know, is different than how I'm usually cast, I can deliver it because, you know... Um, I remember one time Keanu Reeves was talking about how he had never done Shakespeare v before. And then he was in this Shakespeare movie, and I forget which one it was. But I remember seeing it and thinking, hmm, like, 
I, I want to make sure that I do Shakespeare before if I so that if I get that opportunity, I don't look like Keanu Reeves in that movie. Got it. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. No, 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 no. No um, shade on Keanu Reeves, but you know. So I just think that for me, I like. You want to be well rounded and prepared yeah. in all aspects, just in case the opportunity arises. Right. Yeah, I get it. Because I, there are always obstacles. Like I remember yeah. when I did Grimm. The only reason I did Grimm. I got to do it. The was TV show. The TV show yeah. was because Sean Hayes and Todd Milliner produced it, and it was the pilot episode, and I was playing like uh, a wolf. I was playing so you like an evil... So you were makeup and character? Evil guy. Yeah. An evil guy, and I just remember the casting people. Like, everybody at the network was against me doing it, and... They had me come in and audition like because three or four times. Because they saw you as the funny guy. They said, he's funny. It'll take people out of it. And Sean kept saying things like, you know, well, what about, you know, you know, what about Robin Williams in... Right. Goodwill Hunting. Goodwill Hunting. And, you know, and try, and then finally, you know, he, they, they worked it out so that I could do it. And those kinds of opportunities are very rare. And again, when you get that kind of opportunity... I want to be prepared to step into it. Yeah. So, to well, comment question. Um, it seems like they wouldn't let you in for some reasons, and then once you got in, they wouldn't let you out of that pigeonhole of whatever. It, it's uh, is that right? Wait, I don't say that again because I didn't know what you meant. So um, it was really when like you were looking first starting at a crazy out, person. No one would let you. <laughs> I am a crazy person. <laughs> it was like looking. I'll Listening use, to the sound I'll, of crazy. I'll use smaller words. Okay, thank Here you. Here we go. Uh, so when you're first breaking in or starting to make a go at acting, you, you got a lot of, no, he's not right, I'm not letting him in, he doesn't fit the mold. And then once you finally start to make it, then you're locked into that mold and you can't even seem to break out of that. Well, I mean, I do, I do think that it's an actor's responsibility to figure out how to keep doing things and keep it going on. And... and you know, like, I've had so many opportunities to do so many different kinds of things. And I'm so, I really am grateful for the longevity and the opportunities that I've been given in that way. And But I also think that it's my opportunity to, or my responsibility to keep stretching and growing in ways so that when another opportunity comes right. up, I can right. show another side, another right. surprise. And so I'm not just doing the same thing right. the entire Playing time. Playing that same note all the time. Right. No, you want yeah. different tools in your toolbox. Yeah. Get, and my question um, from something you said a couple minutes ago was, I know you said you did not really have any interest in stand-up. No. I but even though you're, you're funny and you do, I've seen your work, Groundlings, you've taught at Howard, fine, which is where we met. And at the Groundlings, and yeah, right. Um, is there a reason that you've never really kind of... Do you not like to write I your own I can tell from jokes? your face. No, no, no. <laughs> no, it's an interesting question. And the, the truth is just fear. And so oh. what's, what's actually, I've been obsessed, I'm obsessed with stand-up comics. I go to comedy clubs all the time to look at stand-up comics. I love it. I absolutely love it. Because you're but funny, man. Along with that is a huge fear. And right before the pandemic, I was actually taking a class in stand-up comedy and, and um, you know, going to, I went to like two or three clubs and tried a set. Uh, and I'm doing it kind of with a buddy of mine. Kind of doing it with see, a buddy of mine. Funny too. Uh huh. I see that. <laughs> um, uh, but 
you know, I've been doing it with a buddy of mine so that it's so it's so scary and it's something that both of us have wanted to try to do. And so I go out and I've been doing that. And again, that feeds into my theory that as an actor, you have to always try to go into areas that afraid. are scary yeah. Yeah. and where you're afraid because the more you are able to kind of be in that place of fear and and not deal knowing, with it and know you're going to survive and yeah. know you're going to survive you, you know you can go and do it but i mean i started out as a really shy kind of scared person well that's the thing that and and no all jokes aside i mean we we interviewed dana carvey a couple weeks ago and he said Brilliant. the same thing he was just terrified at first and then he bombed and then he failed and then the fear went down a little bit and then he tried some more and it's Seems like a lot of people were, we continually talk with, even at the confident George Clooney Ocean's right. Eleven level, right. all started at some level afraid. Right. When you got yeah. your first kind of, I don't know, role, maybe early and mid-90s, did you feel like you kind of made it? Were you like, oh. No, I, I never have felt that way. Never. I still don't feel that way. And, that, My and first that's the drive that keeps, keeps you going because you don't think you've made it? Uh, the drive that keeps me going really is not that I don't feel that. It's really more I, I want to become better at what I'm doing. I love the process of acting, and I want to become better at it. So that's what kind of drives me and keeps me going forward. So you're in love with the, with the process. I am. Yeah. I love it. Yeah. I love doing so it. So whether you got the role or not, you still just I walk, keep, yeah. I walk out of that audition feeling like I got to play that. Whether or not I get to do it in front of a camera or on stage, if I, if I don't get it, at least I got to play it in that moment. And so Which I, I'm assuming keeps you from getting bitter in a, in a real way. Yeah, I'm not, I'm not uh, bitter about it. I also think that, um, I, I, but also I work kind of pretty consistently so yeah, that I, yeah. so that I, I don't know. I'm not really bitter about it. I don't feel uh, a sense of bitterness about anything. And with friends that, you know, do that shine, I feel more of a connection with them. And like, we're, you know, I'm a part of their success. You know, if somebody, you know, that, you know, takes off in a big way, um, well, I don't we know. always I talk always about this proud. too because we always we have friends that have gone on and done films and movies or become directors and we're we're like more power to you like yeah. I'm happy that yeah. you're making it and you learn like, from them yeah. and having them in your camp and in your corner you know it's like you learn from them and I don't know I've got you know I, I've really got a lot of great friends that have gone on and done amazing things and i um love feeling like i'm a part of that that's awesome so when we were doing some research on you we said like i think you brought this up earlier when we were off camera but in 94 it says your one of your first roles is in the mask yes and you played irv the mechanic yes i did and what was that like working with jim because that was like the height of jim carrey at the time like mid 90s well, was like when he was on fire well the thing about that is that he had shot, he was on a show called In Living Color. Right, one of my favorites. And he had shot, um, uh, what was the UPS? Ace Ventura. Ace Ventura. Right. He had shot that, but it hadn't been released yet oh. when we were shooting The Mask. And so um, while they were editing The Mask, Ace Ventura came out and was and a huge up. success. Yeah. And so they kind of went back and a lot of characters got cut. So I, you know, f was fortunate to stay in the mask you know they cut a couple scenes 
but I had a lot of friends that were in it that just got cut completely. And, and then he became, you know, a big deal after that. Um, and, but I remember him, you know, uh, he was so ambitious. And so um, he had all these ideas and he was talking about how he wanted to play somebody where he was the only real person and everything else was reality. And, you know, he ended up making that movie. And Truman Show? I think so, yeah. yeah or I think or Eternal... Oh, doesn't matter. Maybe. Doesn't it was one, I just remember him describing this and then me seeing the movie later and thinking, oh, this is what, what he, he was... What he wanted to yeah. do. And, uh, but I don't remember the, which movie it was. But, you know, he was just... Um, he was wonderful. And I just remember him very, like, high energy and really wanting to succeed. And I knew he would. I just knew he would. You saw the drive. Yeah. He had that confidence just yeah. like oozing out of him. And I was just like, oh, you know, he's fantastic, but I'm going to go to the craft services table. I've always <laughs> been at a different level. <laughs> I was like, that's fantastic. Do they have donuts over there? <laughs> that's why we got into film because of craft service, which is now gone because of COVID. I know. Bummer. And But when you do see craft service, like, it's always kind of like, yeah, I don't want the dips. Yeah. <laughs> I don't want to see a big bowl of shrimp. <laughs> what kind of movies were you working on? Shrimp? So Angelo mentioned earlier a lot of your, you know, I mean, you have a, way too many TV credits probably. Yeah, I can't even read to even like go through. IMDb. But I mean, even like the, high, the big ones, like The Will and Graces, Now You're on Grace and Frankie, Seinfeld. Third, I mean, are there any shows that you were like, oh my God, I can't believe I got this show? Um, like, well, it's interesting. I always just look at it like work, but I mean, I real I loved when I was doing Monk with Tony Shalhoub. I just loved working with him. I learned a lot from him, and he made me feel, you know, really good. And um, and so I loved that experience. Um, I remember when I was doing Will and Grace. I didn't think about it till I was up in San Francisco, and you know, some and it was like like a year or two after I had started doing it. And, you know, some guy came, you know, was like, Larry, Larry. And, you know, I was, <laughs> I was, didn't know who he was talking to. And he, he came running towards me and he goes, Larry. And, I, and he goes, you're Larry, right? And I said, no, I'm Tim. And he said, but you're Larry, Unwill and Grace. And I thought, oh, what's my character? <laughs> <laughs> And I thought the and I problem thought, of an actor that works all the time. And I go, oh, Larry and Joe, that's right. So I must be Larry. And I go, yeah, I'm Larry. And he goes, he said, you know, I just want to tell you, my boyfriend. I back then you couldn't get married or anything, but he goes, my boyfriend and I adopted a child, and we named her after your baby, Unwill and Grace. And I swear to you, to this day, I have no idea what my fake TV baby's <laughs> name is. I really don't. But that was very Georgia sweet. Clooney. <laughs> no, no. But but the thing is, is in that moment, I remember thinking, and he was emotional about it, and he was just like so happy to meet me and everything. And I remember thinking, um, wow, well, you know, this is really working out well. <laughs> and when people and recognize you by your character's name, yeah. But I I loved that, and so that was you know something that. I think meant a lot to my community. So I was always grateful that I got to do that. Um, and, you know, we got married. I think we were the first couple to get married. 
on, on a TV, TV, show, TV show. On TV, first gay couple to get married on a TV show. Um, and then we adopted a baby, and that yeah, was that the show first. Was, that show was groundbreaking in, in a lot of ways. And I think they brought us on to do those kinds of things because they could. the network wouldn't really let them do that with the with the, the, the four leads. main yeah, the leads. Right. Um, so, uh, so that was a, a real blessing. And, you know, I don't know. I've had a lot of wonderful experiences. I've loved working with Judd Apatow. It's always thrilling to work with him. And, and, um, not, uh, was knocked up your first movie or first yes. experience with him? Yes. Okay. Oh, I, yeah, I was, yeah, <laughs> I think we need to set up the Catherine scene. Catherine Heigl. Yes. I'm a, uh, um, what are the, what's OB, it called? OBGYN? Yeah. OBGYN. Gynecologist. And gynecologist. And I'm, and I say, I said something like, oh yeah, I can see, you know, you look a lot like your sister or something like that. And it stayed in the thing. But there are a lot of lines like that that stayed in. And um, that's the fun about working with him is he writes these brilliant scripts and then lets you play around. and and uh, Which is where you're other training comes in the ability to improv the ability yeah. to have done other things like you know what i mean i wish i worked more that way like so much of what i do is just scripted and and it's always thrilling for me to be able to improvise and do that i love that i wish i got to do more of that but um but yeah he's he's he was a joy to work with um i loved uh i've been enjoying working on grace and frankie um uh, Marta Kaufman's show. I mean, it's it's really that's interesting because that character is just hideous and <laughs> and just awful. I mean, like there's nothing. And the if you're right willing, would you be uh, willing to give a little bit of how do you how do you play an awful character? Uh, I just have judging them. I just have fun. I just have fun being awful. Okay, you know, because you're so not awful in real life. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. I I don't know. I don't know. I mean, I got some. I don't know. Yeah, this is. We don't want to go there. No, but but I think that I mean, there's nothing more fun than to look at somebody like Martin Sheen or Sam Waterston, and to tell Sam Waterston that you know he wasn't good enough to get in this stupid little play that we're doing. You know, some dumb, you know, production of a gay local community theater and to tell Sam Waterston that he can't do it or that Martin Sheen gets to be the lead in 1776 in our stupid thing and to watch Martin Sheen jump up and down like he's really like to me it's just fun to, to work with these kinds of you know these iconic actors since Jane you have Fonda. since you have had such a long career and you do get a lot of shows and films can you talk a little bit about the rejection and the shows that you haven't gotten and the casting offices that you have walked into and left and and didn't feel good about that performance? Yes. Um, I really try to not... I really try to do my best in an audition so that when I leave, I know that I did what I wanted to do. It might not be what they want, but that's what I wanted to do. So I don't really feel bad when I leave an audition. Um, I really work on it so that it's what I want to do. Um, and then the, the example that I can give you like a rejection thing is, <coughs> oh boy, uh, friends, first of all, all my friends, my personal friends for years were 
I basically they banned me from talking about getting fired off friends because I used to talk about it all the time to them. Did you know but who I was fired off friends? I didn't no, know. No, I was fired off. I did I I was hired to play a character <coughs> who was supposed to be the love interest for Lisa Kudrow and a health inspector and it was supposed to recur for several episodes. And I got fired um and I was told that they were trying to fit a square pig into a round hole. And, um, and it was devastating for me because I felt like that, you know, Friends at the time was a huge Jeez. show. So and you had booked it and shot a couple scenes? No, we hadn't shot anything. Oh, we okay. we, we, it was a live in front of a studio audience. So I worked for two days with them. And then Marta Kaufman um, and David Crane and Kevin Bright came to the set and you know they were like um thank you you know you can call your agent <laughs> and Th this um, isn't working uh-huh and and then kevin bright called me at home and said you know um you know this is uh we're trying to fit a square pig into a round hole we love you but you know this is not working and so then what long story short <clears throat> years later i i really carried it around with me and my friends were just like tim we cannot hear this anymore <laughs> and um that's when you knew you needed to let it go. Uh -huh. I I mean I really couldn't I was ups I couldn't let it go. So the beauty of this story is that I then was hired years later to do a spin-off of a friend's character called Joey. Um and I, you know, did it and the whole week I was nervous I was going to be fired. And at the end of the week we, you know, I shot it. We I did my bows in front of the live audience and I was up in my dressing room and Kevin Bright comes to the door and he was just like, you know, um, you know, you were, you know, you were spectacular and I've been such a fan of yours over the years and thank you for doing this show. And I was like, you know, thank you. This means so much to me, especially in light of our history. And he was like, what history? And I said, well, <laughs> I'm talking about friends. And he was like, what about friends? And I said, well, I was fired. And he said, who fired you? And I said, you did. <laughs> and, and he was like, what was the role? And I told him the role. And he said, oh, well, I remember that role. He said, it was supposed to recur as a love interest for Lisa. And we, it was just poorly written. We kept cutting it down. We hired two or three actors. We kept you know, firing people. And it became smaller and smaller. And it was a one-time co-star. It ended up just being wow. a few lines one time. And he said, yeah, the role didn't work. But all those years, you thought I it was carried you. around. You it was like you, yeah. And it had there, nothing to do yeah, with you. Yeah, and it had nothing to do with me. And then, like, in that same year, hmm. I got hired on David Crane's show. Um, uh, uh, what's it called? Episodes. And I did that. And David Crane, we were all sitting there, and he was looking at me and laughing, and he goes... You know, I know that we've known each other forever, but I cannot remember where we met. <laughs> and I was just like, hmm, I don't know. It feels like uh, we have met. I, yeah, I don't know. <laughs> and he goes, was it through Lisa Kudrow? And I was like, maybe. maybe. <laughs> and, and, then, uh, and then a couple of years after that is when I... Go I got to do something to do Grace and Frankie and Marta Kaufman came up to me on the first day and she goes we're so happy to have you I've been you know such a fan of yours and thanks for doing this and it's just a pleasure to meet you and I said the pleasure is all mine <laughs> and it's it's one of those things where 
they've been wonderful, all three of them, and that what I could have learned had I been smarter back then is that it's got nothing to do with me, but they were trying to fit a square peg into a round yeah. hole. And, um, and a, and I a hole that was not well written according to them. I still think they could have tried to shove that square peg in harder. <laughs> but that being said, it all I've worked with all of them, and none of them remembered it. Yeah. And, um, and it's just such a, to me, a good lesson in yeah. you yeah. can't hang on to those disappointments. Right. But all I know is that, um, that, you know, I mean, I remember saying like, well, now I can let that go, and I don't ever have to think about it again because everybody has been so lovely to me, and it's behind me. And what? yet, I'm still talking about it. <laughs> but in <laughs> a friend, positive way. Yeah. When my in friends hear this, they're going to think, oh, Jesus. No, no, I wow. actually, I push back on that because <laughs> that is actually something that you need to be armed with when you're out here. Otherwise, that, that's bitterness, that's resentment, that's... I thought somebody was terrible. You badmouth them. You gossip about them. They just let you go from a bad role. That's it. No, but it's not. I don't want to say that. I mean, the truth is I couldn't make it work and and neither could the other actors that they hired. But I, I mean, to me, the big lesson is not to blame them. Yes. Right. It's not to blame them. It's the way that I responded thinking that there was yep. something wrong with me. And I carried that around for a long time feeling... You know, like uh, I wasn't good enough. And I remember when when um, I did Joey and when he came up to my dressing room, I remember him saying, you know, yeah, people, you know, we fired people all the time on that show. It was no big deal. And I was like, yeah, no, I know. I get, I get, I get it. <laughs> and I remember acting like, you know, yeah, sure, I know. And, and there is a part of you as an actor that wants to just be like that. But the truth is, you know, disappointments sting yeah yeah and and it's kind of like you can't let it shut you down you just have to figure yeah. out how to keep going no, that's a that's a good lesson and and do you feel like now that you've learned that it's a lot easier for you to let stuff go and move on and absolutely not let, it, not let it bother you absolutely not drag around your past with absolutely. you absolutely that's that see that to me is worth telling that story and also i've had so many friends call up and say like you know you know, especially young people, young actors, you know, when they call up and say that they've been fired and they're really upset. And I'm just like, you called the right person. <laughs> Let me tell you a story. <laughs> tell you about the most popular show of all time. Oh, wow. yeah. But my, my, my friends, Your close friends are literally like, Tim, <laughs> you know, we cannot hear that again. And it's kind of like, I literally remember I had two or three friends that banned me from talking about it. Like they said... We you must have it. brought it up a lot. I was. It was hard for me to let go. <laughs> we. <laughs> I think if you just tell the first half of that, yeah. I wouldn't want to hear it. <laughs> but if you, since you've figured out the second half, that actually makes it a really good story. Oh, it's it's everything. I mean, to me, that's the way business is. Yeah. Is and I couldn't hold it against any of them because they were wonderful. They've all been wonderful and generous to me since. You know. What about doing? Because I feel like you work a lot in TV pilots that you shot that you've gotten that haven't gotten picked up yeah or that get picked up and last for one season right and then they're going yeah there's been there's been any of a them lump, a number any of, of them, them that like people haven't heard of or seen that that you thought were amazing like i can't believe this all of picked them up. all of them all of them i mean i've done so many pilots and so many things that haven't worked out you know george clooney did a lot of pilots <laughs> <laughs> well we have so much in common so much 
Um, uh, <laughs> we're really inter interchangeable. Um, <laughs> but, uh, but what I was going to say is, I remember I did a show, a series with Wanda Sykes uh, called um, uh, Wanda Does It. And we were the only two series regulars. And, and it was for Comedy Central. And we shot a whole season of it. And I just knew that it was going to go. And that it was, you know, <clears throat> I was so happy. And, and, and it was just magical. And I loved her and everybody in it. And, you know, that, that what we were doing. And after that season, Comedy Central didn't pick it up. And I was really devastated. And I remember kind of making a decision, a cognitive executive decision, that I would never let myself get hurt like that again in a, in a pilot. And the good news is that to this day, Wanda's my best friend. Like, you know, we still are very close. And, so, and, and that whole group of people, we get together you know, and, and there's still that same feeling and, and um, camaraderie and everything. But I, that was a really hard one for me. And there was one I remember with Sally Field um, called, uh, it was about a Supreme Court justice, and I forget what it was called right now. But um, all these millions of dollars to build a set, and it was, you know, this amazing cast, and I just thought, this is going to go. And we shot, I think, six episodes. And after the second one, you know, they canceled it. But we had to still continue shooting the rest of the episodes. And everybody was so sad. And um, But is that because everyone's under contract? You have to shoot the six? Yeah, we have to. You know, we were hired to do this. And yeah. we had to shoot them. But, like, when you are on a show that's not going and it's just depressing and we found out i remember the the network this is a good lesson the network i remember said they didn't tell us we found out by watching it on entertainment tonight and then we all had to come back to work the next day and it was like we've been canceled and um i remember sally field saying you know what you do is you never work for abc again you know we, you know, and she was just like committed to that. And I remember thinking, I'm not Sally Field. I don't know that I can really commit to that. But, you know, and then several months later, she was doing Brothers and Sisters for ABC. And I just thought, you know, the moment. I just thought, you know, it's like you can never hold a grudge or be bitter or anything like that. You just have to be open and know that some things work and some things don't. Well, we had a casting director on recently, Claudia Lyon from CBS, but she was at ABC for a while. She emphasized collecting like the little victories because you can get a show and it's successful, but then even if it's on for six, seven years, you got to get another. So you got to still got to work after that. So like it's important just to collect like the little victories and not worry really about the how negative all the rejection is going to be because the town's full of rejection. I think also what's good about that, what she said is recognizing little successes right. is how you grow your self-esteem. Mm. Because a lot of times mm. I think what happens is by the time I get to, you know, by the time I achieve something that was a goal, I'm off onto the next goal and I go like, oh good, I did that. And it's kind of important to take the moment to go like, 
oh, I did this. This is something I wanted yeah. to do, and I did it. So I think that that's how we grow self-esteem to keep on climbing. Well, Claudia said that. Carvey said something along collecting victories, even what you're saying. It sounds like that's kind of part of the process because you're going to – it's going to fail at some point. The show's going to get canceled. You're not going to get it. They're going to go with somebody else. You're going to – maybe you get fired – uh, you got to be able to recover from that. If that undoes you, you're not going to last. That's right. right. It's resiliency and also yeah. figuring out how to not let it stop you. Mm. You know, like once you let it devastate you or stop you, <clears throat> then, you know, you have to figure out how to get past that if you're going to continue on. And I've I've seen so many people do like one big job where they're hugely famous and then you just don't really hear from them again. Right. And um, and I always think that I have, I feel like I haven't even had that big job that, you know, that's made me blow up yet. I've, I feel like I've done a lot of little spectacular things that I'm very proud of and I'm grateful for. But, um, you know, I haven't had that one thing yet that, you know, puts me on the map that everybody knows me from, you know. Mm -hmm. But then I also thought there's something kind of fantastic about being known for a lot of different things because yeah. then it's like I've become a character actor and I'm not just, you know, um, uh, uh, Jojo from Jojo and the Chimp. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> By the way, that's not out yet. Let's write a Jojo but you know what I mean? pilot. <laughs> you know what I mean? Do you I mean, I could be Jojo and Jojo and the Chimp. And Angelo can play Madame Hamburger. <laughs> Oh, he'd be a fantastic. I mean, I, I think so. I do Scary. Look, I and do then, look good. And then there's a dance. And then there's nice a dance calves. number in the middle. I'll Just play. I'll play the chimp. <laughs> no, we we want a real chimp. Oh, well, thanks. Yeah, but you maybe not you the can chimp. be the guy that cleans the chimp's cage <laughs> at the zoo. Since you've worked with people like Judd Apatow, and you love comedy, and you're really good at improv, have you ever wanted to write a TV show? I do write or I, write a fi feature film. Um, I've written. Um, three screenplays, none of them have sold. Okay. I have written um, three one-person shows, and they've all done well, and, you know, I've had a lot of accolades and all that's great. I've tried to that do... That are already out there that you've performed? That I've performed. Okay. Um, and then I have written for two of them, you know, tried to write them as a pilot to sell like that. And I just have never been able to sell anything. You yeah. know, it's hard. to me, it's a miracle whenever somebody sells something. You just need that one, I feel like, and then they, then they, then you sell like fifteen things. Yeah, but I also think for me, what's happened is I used writing, I used writing to uh, kind of write for myself, and so I've I've always kind of done it, but I've worked enough as an actor where I think that sometimes some of the friends of mine that go into writing, mm -hmm. it's because they're not working as an actor. And so they'll... they'll Segue into something else. Yeah. yeah. And, and so that happens a lot. And I just think that I've been... Are you writing for the fun of it? Or are you yeah. writing because you really want to sell this project? No, I never think okay. like that. Okay. I write what I want to write. And, and I sometimes even resent getting notes. <laughs> Which is not good for a writer. It's, that'll tell you exactly, you know, how limited I am and why I don't sell stuff. <laughs> I didn't want to say it, but uh, maybe you should write to sell something. I know. That's what, 
believe me, my friends, I mean, I've got friends that sell stuff all the time and they're like, Tim, you should be trying to, and it's like. But with acting, if someone came up and gave you a note and it was a note, you probably would just go for I welcome just it. Fine. I'll try yeah. it. So Absolutely. may I ask, you have a psych psychology background as well. What is it about the writing that is more precious than the acting? I think that it's or just that I want, I want to, notes. I want to write what I want to write. And sometimes when you get notes from, you know, somebody and you just think, okay, okay, I'll try that. And you try it and it just makes it the project that you were writing and trying to create become something that it, you didn't want it to be, you know, you know what I mean? Yeah. And so um, that's happened a couple of times. But then also, I, I think that. I always write and I enjoy it and all that, but it's because I like to do what I like to do. I've never been in a, um, well, that's not true. I've been in a, that's not true. I've been in a writer's room and I actually like that because I like being in a group of people and throwing out ideas. I've done that a couple of times, but it's not something I ever wanted to pursue. Whereas I've had friends who they like just as much being a writer on a show and um you as like they the, do you like acting. The performance and i like yeah. to perform yeah. it i like to act right. yeah you know who writes stuff to sell george clooney oh george clooney yeah, i know he writes stuff all the time a lot of people write stuff to sell i know i here's the thing <laughs> if any one of those one person shows had sold i would have been thrilled but i you know when you try for several years to you know were they filmed or were they like plays? No, they were They're staged. Okay. And when you try to um, sell something and it's met with resistance, for me as a writer, it's so much energy and time put into that. And then to not say like, yes, we want to do that. I don't know. It was, I got kind of, I just kind of got where I was tired of kind of trying to sell stuff mm -hmm, right. and nobody buying it and and so that's kind of, I mean, I got, for two of them, I got a holding deal, but they never made them. Right. And and then on one of them, they wanted me to go back, and it was about, that one was about me losing uh, somebody d that died, and, um, and they said, uh, it was, m I lost a partner during AIDS, and that's kind of what it was about, and I remember HBO saying, can you make it? not be that and so um and so i went back and wrote it as a pilot where the no that's the whole it's, it's all the same stuff but i was going home because my father was dying and and then they said well um okay this is, is we're getting closer and then they wanted me to add this and take out this character and do this and then it became completely, completely unrecognizable yeah. and then the bottom line was they said, well, who do you see playing the lead? And I said, me. And they said, well, this is, a, again, a different time in our history. Now we have a lot of people that write and star in their own things. Back then they said, well, you can't write and then star in it. And, and they were like, you can't do that. You know, you have to think of somebody. And I just remember thinking, I don't want to do this anymore. And I said that. I said, I don't want to do this anymore. <laughs> and I said, sorry, I'm just going to. And I remember going to the elevator and the person representing HBO saying, you know, don't be upset. And I said, I'm not upset. I just, I just feel like I, I keep, exhausted. I keep yeah. giving away 
what I want this to be, and I don't want to do it anymore. And now it's not even for me. Yeah, and now it's not even for me. So we're just not on the same page, right. and I don't want to do it anymore. So I think that's why I kind of stopped writing and okay. selling. All right. All right, good to know. Anything you're excited about as far as like what's coming up or what you're working on now? Well, um, I... And I know I'm going to be shooting some more episodes of Grace and Frankie. We were right in the middle of shooting the last season when the pandemic hit. And we're going to pick that up, I think, in June. That's what they're talking about. That's Netflix, correct? Yes. Where do they shoot? Uh, Paramount. Paramount. Mm -hmm. And then I've been doing, during the whole pandemic, I've been doing a really fun animated show for Fox uh, called The Great North. Oh, cool. And so I know I've got three of those episodes coming up this week that I'm going to be shooting. And, um, and I did a show called call me cat. And that was, I had a good time on that. And, you know, we're waiting to hear if there's a pickup for that. And that's the one with, uh, Mylene Mylene Bialik. Bialik, yeah. wait, say your name again. Is it Mylene? I don't well, know just say it, commit to it. Like no, just I say it. I can't, we're going to edit that part out anyway. <laughs> it's Mayim Bialik. Yeah. Mayim but I really sure. wanted to hear you. Uh, debacle. Dude, this guy reads at a third grade level. Like, have you, you, you've seen him at, at the it's restaurant, true, right? <laughs> it is true. Uh, well, that's exciting. Yeah, so Do you I'm like the, doing I'm the voiceover stuff? Uh, yeah. It's really easy. The beautiful part of that is they sent me equipment and I just do it at home. I have a microphone and headset and stuff. I plug it into my computer and I just do it at home. And it's, it's fantastic because I don't even have to wear pants. <laughs> That's how I do all my voiceovers. Because <laughs> I have really nice calves. That's how we're doing the podcast. Boy, he's really oh, wait, selling uh, his calves. Yeah, I don't, actually don't have pants. <laughs> for all you listening, good for you. What is there something you want to talk about that we haven't brought up yet? This is your chance to be on a soapbox and pontificate. Uh, anything that we... I think that we hit a lot of good stuff in there. Ooh, um, I don't know. That's what? Uh, I was going to say... Um, is there what? anything you guys want to know? Well, um, so you've been out here working for a while and doing really well. And um, you've kept yourself pretty, I would say, from, from how I know you, pretty healthy. You know, no lawsuits, scandal, drugs. There's a lot of things that, yeah, broken in, relationships. In uh, there's a lot of things that can go wrong. What are a few things you've done to kind of keep you grounded, on the grounded yeah. off, from falling off the ledge? I think that, well, there are several things. Um, wow, this is a question I've never been asked before, but I think one thing that I'm very grateful for is being a part of the Groundlings really helped me. It gave me a community of people, mm. so I never feel alone mm. going through this process. And then also, I've just got some really good friends that I've known forever, and, and I'm close with my family. And I think uh, this is kind of odd to even talk about, but I, I have kind of a strong spiritual life. You might, hmm. you probably don't even know this, but I feel like We've for me, a little bit about I feel very much like I, I operate from a place of gratitude hmm. and forgiveness and all that kind of stuff. And that helps me in this business, um, I feel very connected to my friend's success. I feel loved by people and my family. Um, and I remember during the 80s and 90s, 
when I was going to church, <clears throat> all the churches kind of said, like, you know, they were all against uh, gay people. Um, they were very, you know, unanimous in saying that, you know, connecting gay people with murderers and pedophiles and sinners. And now a lot of the churches are much more inclusive. Mm. But in the 80s and 90s, everything, all the doors were closed to me there. But I still had these, this feeling uh, that I wanted to, you know, have this idea of God. And so for me, it's very personal and very much private. You should probably cut all no, of this. No, this, this is, is good. Stuff. Why yeah. do you feel but, better? But it's just very personal and private. And I do it without consulting churches or other people's ideas of how to interpret um, religion or... Um, or God. And so I've kind of found a way that I feel that spiritual support right uh, without the use of other people's opinions in a pulpit. So that's one thing that's helped me is just having that private um, kind of confidence faith, yeah. and faith. Yeah, I also think that it's imperative in Los Angeles. It's a very big city. And people can feel very isolated. And I think that it's really important to have friends. And if you can have family around you, that's great. But I don't have family out here. But friends and you people. You found a community of people that you can rely on. And also you need them and they need you. And, and, and that, that you feel loved and supported. And I can go to somebody and say, you know, this is happening. I don't know. I just think feeling that sense of community is imperative yeah. in Los Angeles. Because I, uh, it's, it's, it's big city, but it's very small. Sometimes. small. Uh, it can feel very, very pulled apart. And like, I don't know anybody. Well, we, you know me. I know. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know me. You can always place a phone call. Oh. I'll be your friend. <laughs> um, you know, I remember during, I mean, during the pandemic, um, while I was sitting at home just eating and watching everything on TV, I had a lot of um, coconut cake anyway, okay. um, <clears throat> but um, and pizzas and ice cream. But anyway, um, my point is that during that period, a friend of mine, a good friend of mine, Tony, uh, got together a group of people and we would play this mafia game on Zoom a couple times a week. I actually know the Tony you're talking about. Yeah. Sepulveda? Yeah. yeah. And and so there was a group of us, and we would get together and play Mafia. And it very much kept me feeling connected, even though I didn't really, you know, go far from my place for a year. You know, I, I felt very much connected to these people, and I would look forward to that social yeah. exchange. And I just think that I've, I've been grateful for that as well, because... Uh, not everybody has that. Yeah. Not everybody is sharing their space with a roommate right. or, uh, you know, a partner or a family, you know. So for me, I'm, I'm grateful for my friends like that. Right. Well, that's kind of how we started this podcast and built this space is because quarantine, friendships, we wanted something to do that kept us creative and active and not just like miserable during <laughs> COVID. And it's been probably like one of the biggest blessings of 
2021. Yeah, for sure. Gave me gave us something creative to do and with people we want to do it with. And now look, you have a hat and a sweatshirt. Wait, That's it. Wait, the goal was not to get a hat and a sweatshirt. <laughs> And a trunk. Uh, you've it's got a trunk. trunk. Our it's goal was to get a... George Clooney on the podcast, and, I'm and it happened. Disappointed that George was not here today. But Your, I'm a his very good second. Doesn't look anything like him. I'm a very good second. Ocean's <laughs> twenty two. Can't wait for it to come out. Oh God, that's so humiliating that I said that. But I the, think it's the, great. The point it's is deleting the show. That's opening. The oh, show. please delete it. So the but, one time I played no. George Clooney. <laughs> no, but you see. Um, I remember when the the kid that's playing, he's not a kid, he's like in his 20s, and he is playing, um, he might be 30, but he's playing uh, the Brad Pitt role when he called me and he was like this. My my initial thing was, (laughs) you know, like uh, this, that's ridiculous. Like as a, a man that looks through life through a comic lens, I thought that is ridiculous. But then the more I thought about it, I thought, the thing that I love about both George Clooney and Brad Pitt is just how confident they are and how the swag that they have and all that. And I thought, oh, this will give me an opportunity to, as an actor, find that part of me and so that I can bring that out and play with it so that if ever I'm in something and I have to bring go the gravitas, to that, I, I know how to do that. It's there. Yeah, it's so already been worked you see out. what I mean? And they don't have to know that it's my idea of what George Clooney is. Everyone's now going to Well, know. everyone's going to know yeah. now. No. Yeah. So they will not because I can promise you it doesn't look anything like him. Oh. We'll be the judge of that. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, uh, Tim, thank you for coming here today and chatting with us and letting us peek behind the curtain and see into your life and um, give us a little insight in some of the choices that got you here. Well, thank you for having me. It's good to talk to you guys. Yeah, Congratulations on you. this. And um, I hope that um, I I hope that you don't put me in the trunk now after this is over. No, our hope is that we can do a show with you one day. Oh, that'd be great because we're uh, we're really big fans. I got some awesome. notes on your script though. That yeah. Like by the way, <laughs> yeah. Get in line. <laughs> Get in line. <laughs> All right, so for uh, everyone, uh, if you've enjoyed watching uh, another episode of So How'd You Get Here, please hit that uh, thumbs up button, like, subscribe. Yeah, I think, uh, I think that's it, and we will, uh, we will see you next week.